Hello, welcome back. Episode two of Squad Depth with me, Theo Lloyd Hughes. Thanks so much for checking out episode one if you did. If you didn't, go and find it on all your regular, normal, totally, totally normal podcast platform spaces out there. Uh, anyway, you find a podcast, it should be. And if it's not where you want to listen to it, let me know and I'll make sure it gets up there. Thank you so much for all the feedback this week. Lots of people uh, saying lots of nice little comments about the first episode. So it really means a lot. Uh, just trying to do something that's sort of slow and soft, long form interviews, profiles, stories from the soccer world, football world, whatever you want to call it, um, with people I know uh, and don't know, want to get to know. And uh, on that note, uh, this week's episode, it's really, 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 really exciting to be talking to Kayla Thompson from Austin, Texas, uh, a goalkeeper by trade. She played at the University of West Virginia, then on to Brown, won an Ivy League championship, was in the Ivy League team of the year. More recently, off the pitch, Kayla co-founded HT Sports Consulting. While carrying out crucial research about what it's like to be a women's professional soccer player all over the world in the modern day, as well as all that, she's also co-founded the soon-to-be USLW football club ATX Woso in her hometown of Austin, Texas. We're going to get into all that, her life off the pitch, on the pitch, as well as her current exploits in between the posts, playing for Toluca Femenil in Liga Emekis. Enjoy. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Squad Depth. Uh, I'm really, really honoured to have one of, to me, the most exciting people in football right now, uh, doing so much in North America on both sides of the US-Mexico border. Um, yeah, someone who's who's playing the game, revolutionising the game, uh, between the posts, in the front office. Uh, please introduce yourself. Who are you? Wow, what an intro. I appreciate it. Um, my name is Kayla Thompson. Um, currently... Goalkeeper for Toluca Femenil, uh, co-founder of ATX Women's Soccer, and co-founder of HT Sports Consulting. And how do you sleep? How do you rest, Kayla? <laughs> no, I sleep is priority number one, and then those three jobs fall somewhere underneath. I, I, I'm pretty good at 9 p.m. Good night. Love that. That's good inspiration. Um <laughs> Before we, we crack on to all that amazing stuff that you're doing right now, I do want to maybe take a little trip down memory lane, hear a few stories about how you how you got to where you are. And with that, Kayla, if you'll indulge me, I want you to close your eyes and for 10 seconds, when I say, you know, what's your earliest soccer memory or what where does soccer begin for you? Just for 10 seconds, close your eyes, go back there and then open them and and, and, and tell me what you're feeling. So I'll give you 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. All right. Where I are you? think where are you? I am at my elementary school in Austin. Um, we would always play, you know, our little four v four league uh, with the tiny goals. There, uh, it was my favorite part of the weekend. Those days when you'd play something like four games in one day um, and have orange slices and, you know chocolate milk in between your games uh and just get to kick around and have fun um apparently if you would ask my parents i was as competitive as i am now as a little five-year-old um but <laughs> that's where we are amazing and so 
you 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 grew up born and raised Austin Texas not born born not in born. Vegas okay Even yeah poor. I can't I can't disrespect the born Austinites like that but I I moved to Austin when I was six years old and left for college so what was it like raised. kind of finding soccer in soccer in Austin um yeah I played for kind of the local team Westlake uh FC um, as a youngin, and uh, made my way to Lone Star, which was at the time kind of the only big club, especially on the girls' side in Austin. Um, and yeah, made it played in the ECNL when it was the kind of the certain top. I think the youth league now is kind of all over the place. There's GA and ECNL and it's confusing. Um, but I played ECNL as a youngin. Um, yeah. And, and culturally, you know, I, I used to live in Austin. I, I really fell in love with someone and that city in general as a culture. But when I was there, it felt like football was kind of bubbling under the surface and there was, you know, pockets of it and you'd be down in an onion Creek on weekends and, uh, on the east side, you know, families kicking about, but where Austin is now, and, and, you know, by the time you probably left for university in 2017, and then, you know, a few years later, you get Austin FC as well. It feels like right. the city is just obsessed and absolutely exploding now. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends and colleagues there. So yeah, what was it like growing up as a teenager, as a young person about the soccer culture? And, and when you go back now, you know, what do you see? Right. I mean, for any sport, you know, before Austin FC came, it was UT athletics. That's like the center of my alma mater. Ah. Well, that's for a different podcast. I want to talk about you. How come? No, I, um, yeah. So I think as a youngin, I like, we would be the ball girls for, for Longhorn women's soccer. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Abby that Smith? was awesome. Abby I guess you're probably a bit old. You're probably a bit old to be a ball girl at that point, but. No, I think I was, it was probably like my last year when she was a senior or like, or it was my, yeah, around your that first same year time. when, yeah, she was, yeah, my out, first yeah. year when she was, a, or my last year when she was a freshman. Um, but yeah, so I would go to those games, you know, those were our idols as young soccer girls in the, in the city. Um, yeah, I feel like maybe because I grew up in it. Um, it felt like everyone I knew played soccer and that was the thing for, for young girls in Austin, um, at different levels, different clubs, but, um, yeah, everyone loves soccer and like the support that came with Austin FC, I think, like you said, just confirmed, uh, how much of a soccer city Austin is. Uh, yeah, but, it's awesome. but I'm hearing it was sort of never a surprise to you. You were like, oh, yeah, always. Yeah. I mean, um, I I played for St. Stephen's Soccer Academy as well. Um, and, you know, just being around soccer heads all the time, I think I I just we'd go to, we'd go to hop dotty and watch, you know, national team games and we'd go to things like that. So I think, um, it always felt like there was a lot of support in the city. All right. So then you turn 18, you get a scholarship to West Virginia, you're a goalie. Um, quickly before we actually get to West Virginia, how'd you, how'd you pick being a goalie? I saw on a video today that you said, you weren't very good with yeah. your feet or the coach said, can you be, Absolutely. you know, not, not kick the ball or something? That is the factual story. I was 
so awful with my feet. I was on maybe the third team um, when I was at Westlake FC. Um, but I mean, I'm nine or 10 at that point. So it's for fun. Um, but I went in, I rotated my chance and goal. I think we won that game. I had some crazy saves and the coach was like, okay, well, we really need a goalkeeper on the top team. So if you stay in that, we'll put you up there. And I was like, oh, that's where all the cool girls are. Um, yeah, I'll stay in goal. <laughs> cool, love I'll it, stay in it, goal. So how did, how did West Virginia scout you? How did they, how did that kind of come about? Because that's a big, that's a huge school, especially at that point, you know, they got Michaela Bam, Bianca St. George, Kadisha Buchanan's just coming yeah. through. They're, you know, getting really far in the College Cup. You know, this is, they were the kings of the Big 12 and a big name, you know. Yeah, so as I, as I mentioned, I went to St. Stephen's um, and a class, well, classmate uh, two years older than me, Patricia, I think at that time she had just committed when I was a freshman, she was a junior. Um, I was like, yeah, West Virginia, this West Virginia, that. And I was like, West Virginia, where's that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) but she, she was like all female coaching staff. When you get there, the, the scenery is beautiful. Like athletics are top tier. You have to check it out. Um, and she was kind of the first that put West Virginia on my map. And, um, from there, I think it's like those college cup showcases and things like that, where, you send an email to the coach. Hey, Nikki is O'Brown. My name's Kayla. Please come watch me. Big fan don't, of your program. Don't ask whatever. me to use my feet, but I'm great with my hands. Exactly. Watch me save the ball, but I will not be kicking it. Um, yeah. And then they came and watched me at a couple events. I think my junior, no, my sophomore summer going into my junior year, we went to the uh, national finals. And so I think that kind of was a helpful thing on my resume and kind of caught their attention and ended up going on a visit. Everything that Trish had said checked out um, and the pieces kind of fell in place. Two years there, correct? Correct. Three matches I've got you down for in those two Sounds years. right, yeah. Sounds right. Um, obviously, like you said, very good, good school, very competitive. You know, goalkeeping in NCAA is really tough. You've often got four yep. or five keepers on the roster. Some, so a lot of coaches maybe play one in each half. That's quite common in, in, in college. But, you know, sometimes it's just one the whole season, really hard to get minutes. What yep. led to your decision to leave to go to Brown in 2019? Right. Um, well, I was playing, um, I was one year behind and I was second string to Riley Foster, who is, uh, you know, Canadian national team goalkeeper. She's at uh, Liverpool right now. She's a phenomenal keeper. So I think, you know, when you're deciding to go to college, your idea is like, I'm going to play four years, be a Mac Herman like trophy winner. I'm going to win three national titles. You know, you have all these pictures in your head. Um, and that's not the case for most women when they get there. Um, but playing behind a keeper as good as Riley Foster, playing in a competitive environment where my first day of practice, I do have Michaela Abam cracking shots at me and things like that, I think was everything I needed for, for my development as a player. And right around my sophomore year, I kind of felt that I wanted more of a challenge in school. I wasn't at that, at that point, I wasn't sure that, Soccer was a long-term, you know, career potential for me because I was second string at West Virginia. I didn't know if I was going to get on the field. Um, So I wanted to focus a little bit more on my academics. 
um, and still kind of maybe try my shot at at least playing two years. Um, so that's kind of what led to my my decision to transfer. And then you get to Brown and you, you put on some really good tape, good numbers. You're in, you know, Ivy team of the year in 21. How was that playing Ivy League football? And what do you think maybe developed in your game or just from being more involved in in-match situations? Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing I think that I brought from West Virginia to Brown was that at West Virginia, I I would argue, is probably one of the toughest physical environments in terms of like fitness tests and and things like that. Um, so the kind of grind mentality that I had developed from there, I feel like I brought um, to the team at Brown and to the Ivy League generally. I had been second string, but had been doing all the work and had that grind mentality. And the Ivy League is just a little bit when I I think it's getting it's catching up to the Big 12 in terms of that physicality. But it's just a bit of a different game in terms of uh, style of play and size of players and things like that. My kind of aggressiveness and uh, mental strength is kind of what set me apart when I got there. Were you there the same time as Mel Phillips was at Penn and Michelle Alozzi was at Yale? Because I do feel you mentioned it a little bit there. Like It does feel like Ivy is, is on the way up. Obviously, Midge Purse is probably the biggest name. Exactly. Yeah. And Sophie Hurst actually just came to the Houston Dash as well from Harvard. Um, but yeah, it does feel like you've the time in which you were there, 2019, 2021, it feels like the quality is really, really getting bigger and bigger there. Yeah, I think before the year before I had gotten there, I think the Ivy League, it was like Ivy League Championship champion goes to the NCAA and that's it. Um, I think 2019, we sent two in 2021, which was our next season. We sent three teams from the Ivy League to the tournament. Based so I think that. that speaks for itself. Like we have eight teams in the Ivy League and three of them are making the tournament. That's that's absurd. Um, especially for schools where you're not giving athletic scholarships um and things like that so i think yeah and now my former teammate Brittany rufino just got called into u23s um national team so i think things like that like there's there's national attention coming as well to ivy league players and teams and on the school side uh not easy you gotta be hard work i would say not easy (laughs) i would say not easy (laughs) i've heard Um, wouldn't know from first-hand experience but i've heard not easy Um, what was that like and, and what were you majoring in and, and kind of how has that uh, you know been a part of your journey yeah um I mean on the school side of things I, I whenever people are stressing about their majors I like to add I had five different majors before I graduated humble brag <laughs> not really I didn't graduate with five it was just that I changed my mind a lot of different times um but uh, so I came in doing cognitive neuroscience and ended up graduating with health and human biology um, and had public health in the middle of those two. But I chose part of the reason why I chose Brown was because it's known as a super collaborative school, especially in the Ivy League scope. I think a lot of them can be kind of competitive in a way that's not helpful um and I got really kind of collaborative vibes from from Brown and they have this curriculum where you can you have your classes for your major and then everything else you want to take is it's called open curriculum you can take what you want um so I'm not taking 
a history or math or whatever I don't want to take just because the school says I have to. What made you, you know, on your journey coming from West Virginia, then you you get more time at Brown. What made you feel like you could go pro and that was the decision and, and not, you know, something you know, an office job, or like you said, you'd obviously been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to prepare yourself for whatever career. So what made you think goalkeeping, (laughs) what made you think, you know, this is the path for me? Yeah, I think 2019 was a dream season. It's one of those things where the ball bounced in our favor about 150 times. Um, We, as a defense, had super low, low, you know, goals goals against average. Uh, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think we had three losses on that season. Um, you know, me, our center backs, our forwards, our midfielders, every week are, are getting awards. It's like, you know, it's the happening. dream. You can feel it in real time, that cohesion. Yeah. And that's exactly. It feels good. Yeah, exactly. And that, so I think it was like, that was so fun. Like, when I mean, like I said, I'm competitive. So to me, I'm like, winning is just so fun. Um, well, coming after two years of grinding behind someone like Riley Foster, it's very, I'm sure it was very satisfying. Absolutely. Um, and a great team environment as well, where there was a lot of people like me who were doing equally amazing things off the field than they were doing on the field. Um, and so after that 2019 season, we were all, you know, we ended up losing to Florida State in the second round, and um, they're not a bad. lot. Heard, of our... I've heard they're not bad. Yeah, they're okay. Decent, I mean, decent team. Yeah, yeah, they're a couple of national titles here or there, or something like that. We most of our, I think, all of our starting squad except for one player were supposed to return for the next season. So we're like, oh, we're coming back, and we're we're going to go farther. Then COVID hit, and that took especially in the ivy league because we didn't play that entire 2020 2021 season um and you have to be enrolled as an undergrad to play in the ivy league so that was my senior season so i was basically saying do i take a semester off to you know get my last season in or was you know that was a fun run and kind of move on with my life and had had a conversation with um, my head coach, Kia McNeil. And she was like, I think you're just scratching the surface. Honestly, like this is, I think you have potential to go pro. We can give you, you know, we can help give you the tools to get you there. um, But you need another good college season under your belt. Um, So then that led me to, to stay for another season. We again went undefeated in the Ivy league went to the tournament, all that good stuff. Um, And that's when I was kind of set on going pro and was said I had my whole life to work an office job. So let me, let me ride the the soccer world for a little bit longer. I love that. Shout out Kia for saying, let's do this. Um, Absolutely. And so what, how did you end up in Iceland? Declared for the draft, didn't get picked up, but got a call almost immediately once it had concluded um inviting me to camp at kansas city current um was there for a month um of preseason ended up getting cut which was it's fun like in in retrospect you know it's it got me to where i am and i'm 
incredibly happy to be where I am, but those ups and downs are, are so difficult. So I went, I had wrapped up my lease in Providence, all of that picked up my stuff, half moved to Kansas city, hoping for, um, hoping for a contract and then to get cut at the beginning of March is just so hard in terms of transfer windows. Um, and so at that point, I'm just trying to keep working keep my head down, let my agent do his thing. Um, and ended up finding me a contract in, in Iceland with Grota. And so I was like, all right, that's, that's what we got right now. And so your first pro season, what was that like both on the pitch and culturally, you know, playing in Iceland? Yeah. Huge change. I mean, in the, I was third division in Iceland. Um, I can't speak for the first division, but I know the second and third divisions in Iceland, um, typically only the international players are professionals getting paid. Um, so culturally it's just, it's just super different. I had the youngest player on my team was 14 and the oldest was 29 um that's some good good conversations good culture between between the group and that yeah right so you have that massive age gap um which i mean now we're starting to see like 15 16 year olds in the nwsl well and i was gonna say in liga mechies they're very youth youth forward so that's pretty absolutely um but that was a shock to me i was like i didn't i haven't played I've never played with someone this much younger than me. Well, and the college environment, you're so tight. Everyone's 18 to 22, 23, you know? Absolutely. Um, so that was a huge change. Obviously, packing up and moving to a new country is is different. Um, part of also why I had made the decision to move from West Virginia to Brown was looking for more diversity, um, you know, in my environment. And then I go to Iceland where <laughs> that diversity level kind of dropped a lot as well. Um, so that was different and a challenge for me. Um, but it was a, it was a nice, uh, I guess, stepping stone for me to get in that headspace of like really having to manage my own body, manage my own time, manage, you know, my approach as a pro player. Um, because there was just started with three international players, one tour ACL. So there's just two of us. And everybody else is in school, has jobs, blah, blah, blah. And so I've got, you know, the whole day with practice at five from five to five, six thirty. How am I keeping my brain engaged? How am I keeping my body engaged? Um, lifting wasn't as much of a priority there as it was in college. So like I'm someone who's like, I think my, my the physicality of me is, a, is kind of what sets me apart a little bit as a keeper. So how am I keeping up my, my physical shape and things like that? And also in like my team had just gotten relegated. So we were really one of the best teams in the league. So I would stand for 80 minutes and then all of a sudden have a one V one. So how am I staying mentally engaged for 90 minutes of a game? I think helped me grow as a human and a player for sure. What was one of those experiences? Did you, did you read a lot? Did you put yourself in interesting social situations or, you know, (laughs) go sightseeing? What, what, what are the tricks? Yeah, I, um, I did start kind of exploring more, um kind of mental health in the in the kind of the athlete space um because I think at the pro level is like physical ability is you know there's a little bit here and there but a mental game is really what sets you apart so I started kind of getting into that um 
we started what has kind of forked in the road, turned into both HT Sports Consulting and ATX Women's Soccer was initially trying to, to bring a pro team to Austin. Um, we were doing research into player well-being. Um, so that I was interviewing uh, other pro players, current and fo- former, um, and kind of doing a research study, helping do a research study on that, which was great for my my mental engagement. In the United States and international. Correct. Yeah. It was all English speaking players, um, but they had played in Germany, US, Sweden, you know, Denmark, Iceland. All of this research there was like the business research of how do we launch a team and the player research of like how do you put players at the forefront of your club? And so that player research is what led to HT Sports Consulting with me and Sara Hassoun. Um, But Sara Hassoun is also a co-founder of the business research piece that led to ATX Women's Soccer. Got it. So HT Sports Consulting starts in Iceland, not the ATX Soccer, Woso Park. Correct. Got it. Um, And we are both, me and my co-founder are involved in both. Um, but it is not necessarily that HT Sports Consulting is tied to ATX Woso or, or the other way around. How do you found a consulting a consulting company? Like what you know, you're just a goalkeeper, you know, like you said, right. waiting for your one-on-ones and <laughs> having a lot of spare time. You've obviously, you know, got a lot a big resume behind you already. And and you just think, you know, I'm gonna start as a consulting uh company. What, yeah. What's the story? Um, so Sara and I, Sara had kind of been overseeing the, the research and we went to high school together. They're they're back in Austin at this point, I guess. Yeah. Well, we're virtual at this point. So I'm in, I'm in Iceland. She's in Austin. Um, we were wrapping up the research. She got awarded a Harvard fellowship for that research as me and the other interns, you know, as, as supporters of the research, but she's the main, she's the research lead. Um, as we're wrapping that up and saying, oh, it looks like pro soccer in Austin isn't going to work at this moment in time. Um, so I was like, I think that the number of people we've talked to about this player well-being research, I think that we've just scratched the, the surface. There's, you know, there's NWSL, you know, executive members, GMs, you know, owners, things like that who are interested in it. Just everybody who hears about the research is like, I, we need more. Um and so we kind of start thinking, okay, well, especially in the NWSL sphere where as much as it is a growing league, every team is facing budgetary limitations. So it's not always possible to bring on a full-time person who's going to lead player well-being, but obviously based off of what's transpired in the past couple of years, that's a priority that of the league of a lot of teams of things like that. So the consultancy piece seemed like a good answer to that question of how do we bring someone in to at least lay this foundation or help us set our priorities in the right direction without, you know, having to commit a, a huge full-time salary to that. And so where are you in this research? Is it, is it sort of never ending or what's the current projects that you're working on? Yeah. So with the initial 20, I can't remember now if it's 24, 26 players that we had, initially interviewed that is we have an advanced copy of that research that 
is going through the grueling academic process of being published. And then, yeah, so once we got to the point where we had stopped doing interviews, that's when we took kind of some of our foundings to think about how we'd launch HD Sports Consulting. If you read it, we we say there's a, a lot of different paths. You, could, you can take this to what is it like for American players internationally in terms of well-being? What is it like for agents? There's just so, there's so many big themes that you could do a, a whole research study on that right now. But I think that anyone who's interested in that, there's a runway to take off. And then when did you and Sarah decide to say, hey, we've got to bring a, a, a new soccer team to Austin, um, even if it's not, uh, you know, for now, a pro soccer team? So another high school friend that we had involved, uh, Nathan, um, the three of us had kind of kept this idea because, we, I mean, we love Austin. We love soccer. We didn't want to let that go, but it, the timing wasn't right. Um, we had had a lot of conversations with the USL um, and different people um, in that office, and they were really encouraging. They wanted, I don't know if you had seen it, someone on Twitter had put, had kind of drawn a line almost through the middle of the United States. That was me. That was you? That was That's that my was tweet. Oh my God. That was my tweet. I, I called it the USLW exclusion zone. Yes, that's the tweet I'm talking about. That was my tweet. That was my that was my attempt. You know, I didn't go to Brown, but that was my attempt for a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of data, a little bit of visual data to help everybody out. Absolutely. So I think they maybe you caught the USL's attention. Um, and they were really keen on bringing uh the W League to Texas. And since we had already had these conversations with them, um they offered a lot of support to help us launch in in the hopes of you know, encouraging other teams around to launch and create a, a division. I believe it's five, right? We need five more. Five total. Five total. Okay, so not six. Total. I believe. Five, so four more, and that's probably what Albuquerque to, you know, Little Rock, or or, le- or less than that, smaller than that. I would say, I would say, yeah, there, and then probably up to Oklahoma in that little bubble. Yeah, I would split. I would, I would try and get that Fort Worth get dallas houston san antonio austin i mean that's five off the right yeah easily you could get tulsa you could get oklahoma city i i think that there and there's a lot of love for soccer in those areas as well i love what you've done with the atx so uh launch which is you know about bringing the whole city together and saying hey we don't have a name yet let's bring community involved um talk me through a little Mm -hmm. bit about that like how the launch has been so far it's been what two three weeks now you're already taking season ticket deposits for uh, for next year um yeah what what, what's it what's the feedback you've had what are you excited about um where where's the project right now yeah i i think us us four founders or five founders were incredibly blown away by the support we got um we had I mean, we're really grateful for U.S. soccer for allowing us to have kind of a booth outside of Q2 before the national team game. I think that got a lot of eyes um, on our team and a lot of support, as well as we had um, a a party at the Haymaker with uh, American Outlaws. Um, And they've been incredibly supportive as well. So you can't you can't do any of this by yourself. Uh, the soccer soccer community is tiny and it is strong. And so you got to you got to lean on other people. And uh, all of us having spent different times of Austin's, but spending a lot of our formative years in Austin, um, 
we love the community. We love the vibes. And we, we honestly, we look at a team like Minnesota Aurora and, and see the buy-in that they're able to get, I think largely due to that community ownership. And that's something that we want to bring to Austin. Um, Cause I think it's incredibly powerful. Love it. Great to hear a shout out. Some of my favorite people up there, Wes Burdine, uh, Nicola Lukic, the coach. I, 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 I had a great chat with her last year. Um, be amazing. Amazing to see something like that in ATX. Anything else you want to talk about ATX Woso before we get get back on the pitch? This has been a great diversion. This is what I love about you. You're doing so much all the time. And um, it, it was cool to hear a little bit more specificity about the consulting part versus the, the football club launch. I think we, so we're just, we, we've passed 200 season ticket deposits, which is massive, phenomenal. Um, we're just starting our exploration into creating a, a, a permanent branding and name. Um, so those who have signed up for our mailing list and for our, for our season tickets um, are going to start to participate, um, which I'm just so excited to see, to see how we're going to navigate that and uh, what's going to come up and things like that. Um, I think for the time being, I mean, we're just, we're getting our ducks in a row. We're trying to chug along Um but yeah, that's our biggest update is we're trying we're we're trying to hit the the two fifty season ticket mark for free merch and then get name in the club and get the show on the road. Get the show on the road. It's not easy being a yeah. co-founder, but um not only are you co-founding leading research listener, Kayla is still on the pitch and absolutely killing it because I feel like you know you go from third division in Iceland um. You come back to ATX and then what? It's December 22 and you get a call saying there's a Liga Mackey's team that maybe is having a look at you. I wish that's what it was. It was, I was working for a goalkeeper academy. Shout out to RTG Academy RTG um, in Austin. Great place. Aspiring keepers Great out there. Place. Get, get, yeah. get on it. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, great environment. Uh, great coaches. They had put a video because they're they're partnered with one gloves so they had put a video with with me kind of when they gave me my first pair of gloves and then I got a follow from one of the coaches from Toluca and I was like huh Toluca Nathan one of the co-founders of uh ATX women's soccer is from Mexico City lifelong Toluca fan and I'm like oh look who followed me he's like no you have to go play there <laughs> Amazing. He's like, you have to go. That's my dream for you. My dream for you is for you to go to Toluca. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I'll shoot a message, see what happens. Wait, when you say shoot a message, between email, DM, written. I'm talking Instagram letter. DM. Amazing. <laughs> what, a Toluca official or this is the person, the guy who followed you? This is the coach. The coach. This is not even Toluca's Instagram. This is a coach uh, at Toluca. Okay. Was just, hey, need a keeper? <laughs> and um he was like oh i mean we could sure we could use a keeper um you willing to come out on a tryout and i was like oh assessing out the details and meanwhile nathan's like and... getting you coffee shop recommendations an hour outside mexico city absolutely um he's like well you could live met the beck is super great it did all that great stuff um and so i mean it, it lined up at this point i was kind of waiting for the, I was thinking maybe my next step after Iceland would be Sweden, 
um, and their season wrapped up like late November, December. And so I was, you know, trying to see if maybe that, but nothing had really connected. And so I was like, you know what, I, I got to take a, a shot on myself um, and came to try out at the very beginning of December. Um, yeah. So that's how, that's how that came about. And what, what, what was the tryout like? You've left us on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I know how it um, ends, but you got to bring us into the moment. Okay. Okay. I spent the first, I, I want to say two days, but I, to be, to be honest, it was probably a week doubled over because of the altitude. Um, so I do, you know, to me, what is it? My normal warm up, And I'm like, <laughs> like gasping for breath. So that was, I mean, a physical challenge. I I had never really played at high altitude. Um, And so I had a bit of a panic. I was like, oh my God, they think I'm out of shape. They think I can't play. Um, But I, there was four goalkeepers here, two that were already signed. And then no, five, including me, three others on trial. Um, went on trial for the week and at the end of the week they're like all right we want you know we'd love to have you um let's start discussing contracts and so then we did that kind of back and forth for for a little bit and I ended up signing right before Christmas um so that's how that went and how you know you've now played 11 matches four clean sheets um I want to talk a little bit about your last result but let's kind of talk about how did you get um that starting role because that's that's impressive you know you're, you're now the starting starting goalkeeper for the team currently ninth in Liga Emeki's Femenil for those that don't know they play two half seasons with an 18 playoff at the end of each playing for the championship so you know three points off playoffs right now first game that of the season we both me and Vanessa my teammate who's also American we didn't get our registration it, it wasn't processed in time um so that game we we weren't even we weren't even dressed we were in the stands supporting um the next game i believe was pachuca and that game it was saturday we were we were traveling on saturday or something like that and playing sunday and when i came to practice that day i wasn't registered and by the end of practice i was registered um so that very quickly, um, then I got moved to the travel roster, got put as, as the starting role. I think the biggest thing is that this league has a lot of um, a lot of goals off of crosses. Cross the, the the aerial game is huge in this league, and that is kind of one of my strengths. So I think they saw that as a huge huge advantage, and I think that's kind of what helped me get that starting role. And so you played the Pachuca game. That was my debut in the league of MX. Incredible. I'm sure you can laugh about it now. Listeners, if you don't know, oh, yeah. Pachuca won 10 2. Um yeah. with I've never lost that bad in my life. Yeah, the the wonderful uh Shah Corral just absolutely going off four goals. Um I think Homoso probably got a couple as well. Um I remember when that went in and it was like, oof, Toluca, you're down bad. Um, but we can laugh about it now, Kayla, because yeah. you've been on a tear. Yeah. Four, ma- four yeah. wins in a row now. And yeah. on Monday night, Toluca got their first ever win, I think, against Rayadas in club history. I think that's true. And became the first team to beat 
Realas in 2023. They were undefeated coming in today. First time they've lost a game of any kind since the semi-final of last year's Ligia against Tigres in, of course, the big derby game down in Monterrey. Um, so how did that feel? 2-0. You made a great save. Um, a few great saves, especially I love the big catch off the bar. But it was a tight game. And, and you know what? Watching the game, um, you could have scored more. It could have been more. There's some big chances, you know. 2-0 almost flattered Realas. I, I would agree. I mean, we had we had the first chance on goal. So so I think as a player, when you get the first chance on goal as a team, that kind of you're like, okay, we're in this. Um I don't know how much people pay attention to what's going on, what other people are saying about the team, but nobody thought that we were gonna come in and win that game. Um, but we are playing at home. It's it's so hard to play us at home because of the altitude. Um and if it's hot, it's really hot. Um, so we were we were hoping to take advantage of that. We had had a phenomenal week of training. I mean, one of, I think, the first solid weeks of everyone clicking, clicking, clicking. Um, and so I think we we're all feeling pretty confident going in. Um, the game was so much fun. Um, I think it was especially in the in the middle chunk of that game a lot of counter 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 um but yeah we had the first goal so having that confidence going into halftime allowing us to to you know take in that confidence boost and, and build on it i think was huge for us um we we just played as a team everyone just worked their butts off and um a, a lot of players showed up so um yeah it was so much fun i just it's one of those games it was just so much fun how good in a simple terms how good does a clean sheet feel as a goalkeeper i i mean it's at the end of the game you're just like especially in a game like that a clean sheet when you've been maybe made one save it's like okay yeah it feels good but when when you're playing a team that attacks with like six or seven <laughs> And you feel like no matter where you turn, there's just Rayavis players that, you know, coming down your throat. Big front line too. Imagine as a keeper, when you are going up for those crosses, uh, there was that one header, which I actually think was ruled offside. But um, yeah, they're a big tie. They're putting a lot of crosses and they make it really difficult for you. Yeah, I, I wish there was a video of when we were waiting to walk out and Rayavis turned the corner and um, Birkin Road comes up front and I just go, no way. And I just hadn't seen players that tall since college and was like, all right, we're going to have to work today. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, getting a shutout is just kind of the the peak of goalkeeper keeper happiness right there. 20 goals conceded, but this is a good start. You conceded 10 goals in your first game. In the next 10 right. games, you've conceded 10 goals. Right. So you're at a goal a game in your in your last ten, and you're unbeaten in eight, I think, and four wins in a row, right? So, yeah, I think it's seven or eight. Seven, seven, um, maybe. Yeah. How are you feeling? I know there's only three, four games left before of the regular yeah. season. Um, as you mentioned, we're we're knocking on Ligia uh, qualification. We're right there in ninth place. We're two points behind eighth. Um. And we play Juarez um, on Sunday. I mean, it's hard not to feel super confident coming off of 
a decisive win against the only undefeated team in our league. Um, Juarez is one of those teams that is, they also have a very strong attack, but they're, they're weaker defensively. So I think it, it's exciting for us. It's, it doesn't, it's still going to be a tough game, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be a Reyavis game. We have Cruz Azul and we have America left. Um, and so I think knowing that, you know, none of those teams were able to beat Reyavis and, um, you know, when we show up that we are able to perform with the best teams in this league, I think gives us a lot of um, confidence and hope that we're we're going to edge our way into Ligia. Before I let you get out of here, you've been, you know, so generous with your time, Kayla. Um, it's been great to catch up with you. As someone playing in Liga Mekis, what would you say to someone who's never watched Liga Mekis? And maybe what would you say to someone who knows a bit about the league? I mean, as we discussed when we were talking about the Ivy League, it is it reminds me of that league a little bit in the fact that anyone can win on any day. Um, I think obviously the NWSL top to bottom is competitive as well. Um, but I I think on a global scale in women's football, that's rare. Um, in a lot of leagues, you have your top two, three teams that just absolutely murder the bottom teams, which happens sometimes. But I think in this league, it really, you cannot approach any game saying, ah, it's an easy win, uh, which makes it super exciting no matter where you are in the table um and where you are as a fan i think you can t- you can flip on any game and it's gonna it's gonna be an exciting one um it's it also obviously attracts talent from around the world you've got national team players from uh you know almost it not everywhere but i, I think i mean there's mexican national team players i think there's jamaican national team players there's uh um, south africa now south um, african yeah there's i mean there's just i think a lot of talent from around the world coming in um and i think something that the that the u.s obviously lacks is that like bridge from youth to pro um so these clubs that have are able to have you know sub 18 feminine that work right into the to the first team feminine i think really helps develop players. So you have a lot of young, exciting talent. You have, you know, women who are 8, 19, 20, who are just bubbling and you you get to watch them develop, get to watch them succeed and who knows where they're going to be next on the global stage. Um, but it is just such an exciting league with incredible fans. Um You've never been in stadiums so loud. I thought when I played Texas A&M and had like some rowdy college, drunk college kids behind me that, oh, well, this is the loudest it gets. No, not, it didn't even scratch the surface of, um, you know, playing in, in the Volcan against uh, Tigres. Love that. Love that. That is, that is so true. I think the fans in, I, I got obviously a lot of fam and, and friends and colleagues back in England. And I think even it's on their radar that Liga Amakis Feminil is, you know, maybe the best league in the world right now for for fans and attendance and just the yeah. passion the, the the sound and the passion um in the stands um well before i let you get out of here is there anything else you want to get out of your off off your chest or or share with the listeners i think really pay attention to what we're doing with atx women's soccer we, we have a it's going to be part non-profit owned so we're going to be helping women like me develop their careers on and off the fields 
Um, it's going to be part community owned. So we're going to have that community input. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I just, I'm so proud of what we're doing. So I hope people follow us on socials and and watch the journey on, on that as well. Football is fun at ATX Woso, correct? At ATX Woso, that's us. ATX Woso, football can be fun. That is Kayla Thompson, making sure you know it's true. Uh, Kayla, buena suerte, uh, por los partidos, uh, S-I-S. (laughs) I love it. No, thank you so much for your time. I I appreciate you indulging. It's a pleasure is all mine. And uh, have a good evening. Good luck with the rain. Thank you so much.